It seems fitting that we should get a cracker just before Christmas. And on Saturday, the top two, Liverpool and Arsenal, will do battle at Anfield with the title race set for festive drama that would put EastEnders to shame. Manchester City are away at the Club World Cup, so in their absence, who will make a serious claim for their Premier League crown and end up enjoying their Christmas dinner just that little bit more? I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. Marco Hare's finished draping the Bet Cave in tinsel, so I'm delighted to say he's available to join us once again. Mark Arsenal, the leaders by a point from Liverpool and Aston Villa. But they have had a fair bit of trouble at Anfield in recent years. They have, but um, I'm wondering whether this time around things might be a bit more, well, a bit happier for them, to be honest. Um, you know, very excited about this game, as I'm, as I'm sure we all are. Um, not completely convinced it will explode into the the firecracker we, we hope to see. I had similar sort of reservations about Liverpool going to Man City um, for, for differing reasons, really. But um, I still expect it to be engaging and entertaining in its own right. But um, you know, I, I prepped for this game on Wednesday before Liverpool played West Ham in the League Cup. And normally I would just completely uh, you know ignore the Cup exploits and, and focus solely on what happens in the league. But obviously that's... Uh, you hate the Cups. You all hate <laughs> the Cups. I've noticed do. this down the years. I do. It's just uh, there's there's league football on elsewhere, so that will take my attention. So, um, yeah, but but that was a, a great bounce back for for Liverpool after what was a disappointing nil nil draw against United, where we did expect Liverpool to win relatively comfortably. And um, you know, on a normal day, they they probably do win that game quite comfortably, considering the shot tally they they had. But um, I still have this kind of uh, I don't associate Liverpool right now being a, a kind of league leading side the way in which they performed recently. You go back to the Fulham game of a couple of weeks back at Anfield, quite fortunate to escape there with that late show. The away wins at Sheffield United and Crystal Palace were were, were far from convincing, really. Um, and then against United, despite having 34 shots on the balance of play, they would normally find the net. But watching the game, they did look quite unimaginative in possession at times. And they really did open United up and, and were largely quite wasteful from set pieces too. And I think the fact that the best chance in that game fell to United on a counter-attack um, would be a concern from a Liverpool perspective. So they're still giving these teams opportunities in counters and transitions. That um, area of weakness is, is not going away any time fast. And also, I think arguably probably more concerning for me would be the the lack of command in in, in the centre of midfield. Um, I know they've had to totally revamp that position in the summer, but um, they're a little light this weekend without Alexi McAllister again. Uh, and I think that midfield battleground is possibly where this game could be decided. Um, you know, you talk about Arsenal having a, a poor record at Anfield. Well, last year they raced into a 2-0 lead, weren't able to hold on to it and, and drew the game 2-2. I think they'll come to Anfield confident that, um, you know, in their performance levels from here last year, but also what United did against Liverpool last week, but also the fact that you look at that midfield and Declan Rice is playing some incredible football for, for Arsenal right now, absolutely monstering the midfield. You've got Erdegaard playing fit, uh, back fit, playing some, some good football too. And whoever joins them in that three, uh, probably going to be Kai Havertz, isn't it? I think that's a, a real edge for, for Arsenal here. And um, look, they were outstanding last weekend, albeit against a, a very tired and injury hit Brighton. But uh, I thought they were good value at Villa, despite the 
the narrow loss. And uh, they do head to Anfield with the best defence in the division in terms of goals conceded and expected goals against. So they are capable of kind of standing against the barrage of, of Liverpool attacks if they do come, uh, if Liverpool do bring the noise. And, you know, we've seen Gary Neville criticise the atmosphere at Anfield last week. Um, we've seen Jurgen Klopp kind of almost criticise his own support in midweek after the West Ham win too. So I don't think it's perhaps the yeah, the, the venue which might send fear into Arsenal. Um, you know, they start with, with Saliba and Gabriel at centre-half and that foundation gives them a, a great area to work from and, and the partnership together has got a 75% win rate. So I think everything at the minute for Arsenal going there suggests that they can be competitive. And I was looking at the Asian handicap at Arsenal plus a quarter here at 187 thinking... You know, I've got two 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 results on my side here at a, a reasonable price, and I wouldn't normally want to oppose Liverpool at Anfield. Um, but getting those two results on side, you know, doesn't put me off. That shall we say? Um, they have had the full week to, to rest, prepare, recover. Liverpool have been involved in in League Cup action on Wednesday night. It's a quick turnaround then to Saturday too. Um, I guess the the one thing kind of holding me back is take out the Aston Villa performance from Arsenal. You know, they have been a little bit sketchy themselves away from home in recent months. Luton, Newcastle, West Ham, Chelsea. The Brentford game was in the balance until late on too. So I think they need an improvement here too. So in the end, I've kind of left alone the, the major markets. And, and the, the bet really stands out to me here is um, either money on over four and a half cards. And um, the Premier League is averaging 4.95 cards per game so far this season. 52% of the fixtures have seen over four and a half cards, which is, uh, as Emma has kind of outlined in previous shows, that's a, a full one card more than previous campaigns. All we're really asking for here is the league average to be met. And normally when you've got a high profile, high magnitude match on our hands, normally the card um, averages do increase uh, by a certain percentage or so. Now, the refereeing appointment isn't the best. It's Chris Kavanagh. He's quite erratic and he can um, kind of chuck in a couple of no-shows, if you like. But um, I think he's the kind, kind of character who does crumble a little bit under pressure uh, and tends to produce punishment in kind of patches, really, when he's pushed. And if you look at his record this season, he's given at least four cards in eight of 10 Premier League matches. He gave four in Liverpool versus City, four in United versus Chelsea, six in Chelsea versus Arsenal. Um, there's been six cards in Arsenal's trips to Newcastle, Chelsea and Villa. There were eight cards last week in Liverpool United and four in the Merseyside derby. So I think five feels quite achievable for even money. I would have had this uh, as an odds-on shot. So that would be my selection and just cheer on the violence and, and then I don't really care who wins. But um, yeah, I kind of came into this week thinking I'd be pro-Liverpool, but considering what I've kind of analysed on Wednesday, I thought actually I want to be, if anything, pro-Arsenal, but uh, I think cards is probably the better angle to take. I'll tell you the kind of card that Chris Kavanagh won't be producing, and that's a Christmas card for Mark O'Hare, by the sound of it. Uh, <laughs> odds compiler, tipster, and Malta's king of the inflatables, Mark Stinchcomb, with us <laughs> once again. Stinch, how big a test of Arsenal's title credentials is this? Because it feels like if they could go to Anfield and win, that would feel like the kind of result a champion would produce. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't say in a one off game that would necessarily change my opinion on whether they're a contender or not. I mean, they are clearly a contender at, uh, as we stand, 3.75 to win the league, uh, Liverpool 4.2, City odds against for the first time this season, um, Villa maybe, uh, who knows, uh, Unai. Um, Imagine that, imagine <laughs> that. 
the fair. ultimate protest to your uh, your doubts about Emery if he goes and wins the bloody league. <laughs> to be fair, I've I got a lot of family that are Villa fans, so I'd be buzzing for them, to be honest. And I'd happily, oh, okay. I'd happily give him, you know, all the credit in the world because that would be an unbelievable achievement. Um, yeah, there's, you know, that easily uh, outweighs anything he's done previously. Negative, yeah. like, oh, no straight to the top in terms of best managers so um, yeah who knows I mean uh, if Liverpool and Arsenal draw and Villa beat Sheffield United on Friday night Villa will be top at Christmas which is an incredible achievement so yeah um, and I'm on Villa for Europa Conference League anyway so I want them to do well so let's go Unai Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah I mean in a one-off game I wouldn't read too much I mean Arsenal have already beaten City this season so that could be the one where you say yes they are uh, the team to to beat to win the league but they have already lost uh, Villa and Newcastle without scoring so yeah uh, this this one-off game is not is not going to change my overall opinion too much obviously if they were to win it would uh, affect the market a lot especially with Man City being away at the moment and obviously City being, you know, out of form, if you like, in the league. But we're not we won't even be halfway through the season. Um, so there's still a long, long way to go. And it'll be really interesting to see how Arsenal maybe juggle the second half of the season. Um, because I expect them to go deep in the Champions League. Um, you know, they are in the, they are in among the conversation in terms of favourites for, yeah. for the Champions League. So it'll be interesting to see how they juggle that. And uh yeah, I obviously won't um, repeat what I've said a lot this season but yeah Premier League volatility is still still at its highest um, I, I I sort of agree with uh, everything Mark said regarding reservations regarding some of Liverpool's performances absolutely uh, true and I think we were both kind of um, cagey about Liverpool's price last week against United like how it was really difficult Everyone expected a comfortable Liverpool victory, including the market. Yeah, it was really difficult for us to sort of be excited at the prices, essentially. And, and yeah. we, we weren't really confident in any sort of pro-Liverpool uh, victory. And, it, and yeah, I mean, the way they played in that game was really underwhelming. I felt lots it's of very sloppy. It was as yeah. sloppy as I've seen them for a long time, actually. Almost as if... Not the pressure got to them, but it was a really weird scenario because if you think of the history of that fixture, it's very rare to go into that for one team expected to absolutely destroy the other. Don't have that very often. Even when Liverpool were poor and United were winning everything, he expected Liverpool to be fairly competitive. But that 7-0 kind of put that seed in everyone's mind, didn't it? Yeah, it's almost as if they were over, over, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. Um the the weight of expectation was seemingly we'll turn up and we'll win and yeah football matches aren't aren't uh, played out in 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 that manner often and um, I feel like the the replacements of Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino don't play at the same level in terms of consistency week in week out Diaz Nunes Jota Gakpo they're not as reliable as Mane and Firmino. And I think that's an issue that Liverpool may have to tackle if there's not an improvement. I mean, Nunes and Diaz have been there over a season now. Um, so you can't really say like they haven't had time to settle in. Um, Gakpo is the one that obviously has only been there since January. But again, you know, it's nearly a year. So it's, it'd be interesting to see going forward um, 
if if there's going to be an upturn in consistency from that front three. But in terms of the the prices here, Liverpool at two point four six, Arsenal three point zero five. Again, I just think that. I wouldn't have Arsenal as clearly better than Liverpool, and that's currently what the odds suggest. Um, It's Liverpool are 0.15 goal favourites here. If they were equal in ability, they'd be uh, 0.35 faves. Um, So it feels like the market's saying Liverpool are, um, yeah, a level below Arsenal. I don't know if that's actually fair. Um, I would say Liverpool are around equal or if we say it were slightly below, we would say perhaps Liverpool should be sort of 0.3 faves, which would mean Liverpool... So the be... difference is that home advantage, right? That's the, that's the chunk that we're, yeah. we're looking at, yeah. Essentially in the Premier League, home advantage accounts are around about 0.35 of a goal. And I feel that's the sort of prices we should be looking at. But if we say, okay, Liverpool may be at worst slightly below Arsenal in terms of overall ability and say say 0.3 goal faves. That would have Liverpool around about 2.25. So I just thought I just thought that Liverpool plus zero on the uh on the Asian handicap, so draw no bet around about 1.8 um would perhaps be the the way to go. Um you look in terms of expect, expected points, Liverpool 32 versus Arsenal 34. So again, not a lot in between them. Liverpool only lost once in the Premier League this season. I say once. Um, that was that game away <laughs> against Tottenham. Asterisk. Yeah. Um one seven drawn one at Anfield. As I said earlier, Arsenal have lost at both Villa and Newcastle without scoring. And it's interesting, Mark mentioned the midfield battle because I'm not sure. If it's the right approach, I mean, Arsenal don't seem to have many options there. Um, but I'm not sure it would be the right approach for them to basically play with two offensive players and only one kind of holding in Rice. I expect it to be Odegaard and Havertz. I think, I think if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd prefer to have Rice and say Partey or Jorginho or somebody like that, yeah. and then Odegaard in front, much how they played last season. Because um, I think Partey, Jorginho, Elneny and Vieira are all likely to be absent, so I would expect it to be Odegaard and Havertz again. So I wonder if, again, that might be that might be something that um, <clears throat> will be there. De- will be to their detriment. But yeah, obviously very tight match as the odds suggest. There were there were a couple of other bets I thought were maybe food for thought. Um Liverpool's last two games this week, they fired in 29 and 34 shots. Liverpool to have 25 plus shots is 14 to 1. If if Arsenal take the lead like they did last season and and um and then end up sort of sitting back kind of and Liverpool are forced to or invited to attack them for, you know, 90, well, 110 minutes probably based on what we've seen in terms of uh, injury yeah. time this season. We could see uh, similar figures and uh, the 2-2 last season, um, I think Liverpool had uh, Liverpool had 21 shots. So, so pretty be, close. Yeah. yeah, and that's obviously without the extra injury time. So, I mean, it's not something, not something I expect. Arsenal very good in terms of uh, shots against, but it's just with uh, perhaps uh, Jurgen Klopp's sort of call to arms in terms of the, for the fans to show up. Uh, it could be quite a heated atmosphere, especially when we consider that Mikel Arteta is obviously a former Everton player and has uh, and has history with the crowd. Um, yeah. Liverpool have been racking up the corners as well. Last two home games, Liverpool had 12 corners. Um, that's 33 to 1 for Liverpool to have 12 or more, which obviously enormous price. And again, if Arsenal take the lead, that could be something that the game state comes uh, in. 
Um, both of these two actually are top for corners this season. Arsenal averaging over eight per game, Liverpool uh, around about seven. Um, I'm not a big corner better, uh, but I was surprised to see the corner line is uh, is 9.5 in this game um, with over 17 to 20. I thought maybe would be my 10 and a half uh, or maybe even 11 and a half. Um, both of them obviously don't concede many, but if you've got one team that's just, uh, you know, continually to attack, attack, attack. Yeah, game state again, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, and that's why I'm not really a big corner better because you almost have to predict what the game state will be. But it was just thought it was worth, uh, worth throwing up. It was worth bearing in mind that Betfair are getting into the festive spirit with their 12 pays of Christmas competition. You see what they've done. It's 12 days of Christmas, but they've said 12 pays of Christmas. This is very good stuff. Uh, they're offering a £90 free bet every day until Christmas Eve to lucky punters who submit their heartbreaking losing bets. All you have to do to enter is tweet your losing bet slip and use the hashtag 12 pays of Christmas to be in with a chance of winning. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Chelsea squeezed through to the semi-finals of the League Cup in midweek, but continue to struggle in the Premier League. They take on Wolves on Christmas Eve. And Mark Wolves, you know, against the big hitters, I don't know if we put Chelsea in that category anymore, but they tend to do fairly well. Yeah, they do. Um, and they're quite significant outsiders for this game. Um, there's quite a few options I did quite like in, in this fixture, actually. Largely goals-related, but I was looking at walls of a half-goal start as well, at around 10 to 11. Um, Chelsea trading close to evens, which feels very unattractive to me. Um, however, I've not been overly impressed with walls more recently, um, so I think it might make sense to avoid the, the result and instead focus on entertainment. Um, just on walls, so since beating Spurs, which required that, Stoppage time turnaround after what was quite a meek display for the most part. They've kind of stumbled over the line against Burnley at Molyneux, winning 1-0, managing only seven shots in, in over 100 minutes against one of the worst defences in the division. They were then quite fortunate not to lose against Forest, um, one of the teams in the, the worst run of form in the Premier League, and then comfortably beaten at West Ham last weekend. So it doesn't fill you with enormous confidence, even if the price itself does look on the large side. But as you say, um, look at Wolves and the way in which they rally themselves for the visits of the big guns, um, City, Spurs beaten, Villa, Newcastle held, Liverpool escaped despite a, a first half battering. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think Jose Sarri's back, which is a bit of a shame because there is a drop off to, to Bentley in goal. Uh, but that's one to watch before Christmas Eve on terms of the team news, if you are going to be pro Wolves here. Um, but yeah, going back to their form at Molyneux, they've scored in each of the last 15 home league games. So I'd expect them to grab a goal here uh, against the Chelsea side who were involved in uh, extra time action in midweek as well. Um, I know that was a, a big area of focus for Chelsea in terms of trying to reach a, a League Cup semi-final. Um, in terms of their, their Premier League record, it's just six wins in 17 under Pochettino. Um, they've only twice won consecutive league games this calendar year as well. So um, their away record recently has been pretty poor. Um, they've also failed to win the last three trips to Molyneux. So ratings do suggest that they're a top six side, but... Um, you know, there's been moments when you can see that team kind of kind of coming to the fore, but I think the inconsistency just makes them very unattractive and untrustworthy too. So, goals Alan Wilson goal in the cup. My God, have you ever seen a, a, a mess like it? <laughs> Shields attempted back pass. Thiago Silva turning into stone halfway through it. Just an absolute joke. It's such have a strange team. We've seen that more often than not recently. Um, you know, you look at the way in which they defended the Newcastle in particular, it was, it was scarily bad, really. So they don't fill you with confidence uh, to backing them at sort of close to even money away at Wolves. Um, 
But in terms of goals, which to me is the standout play here, the two teams have managed just six clean sheets between them all season. Chelsea have scored in six of eight away. Wolves have scored in every home game. BTTS banking in seven of eight at Molyneux. So both teams to score is around four to five. Um, over two and a half goals, closer to nine to ten. Um, if anything, I'd probably take the BTTS at the slightly shorter price there. But um, the one alternative option I was going to um, share here was um, centred around Cole Palmer. And um, you know, I have to hold my hands up. I, I wondered why Chelsea were spending an absolute fortune on him this summer, uh, assuming that Man City wouldn't have been letting him go if they didn't feel he was good enough to sort of feature in the Chelsea first team setup right now. Um, I always think if, if Pep and Man City are quite happy to discard a player, there must be a reason for it. But um, so I was questioning their sale. Um, but he has been so, so good for Chelsea. Um, mm. Surely a very strong candidate now for England in the Euros. He's only 21, but he's already uh, Chelsea's second highest league goal scorer this season, second highest assist provider, second highest shot taker, second highest shot chance creator. He's played a key role uh, in terms of scoring or assisting nine of their 28 league goals, which is 32% despite playing just 964 minutes, which actually ranks him 10th in terms of Premier League minutes played for Chelsea this season. So incredibly impressive numbers. He's 13 to 8 to score or assist in this game, which uh, I think is a, a really nice price. Um, those numbers in terms of minutes per goal involvement suggest he should be closer to even. So 13 to 8 is a, is a nice price. Obviously, he's on penalty duty as well. So um should give us a good run for our money. Uh, and Kunku back in the squad too. So that's possibly one thing to look out for here as well. But um yeah, quite happy to kind of be on the Cole Palmer bus at that price. I'm not picking up the Nkunku drum yet. It's just in the cupboard. It's ready. For the new year, I, I should be getting that drum out a lot, I suspect, when we get into 2024. Now, we know that cards are a huge part of the Christmas tradition. That's true here at Football Only Better as well, because both Stinch and Mark have some card-based fun for you all. Stinch, I'm going to start with you. That's very kind, Kev, seeing as uh, Mark definitely got in there before me in terms of <laughs> this uh, topic. But yeah, it's just, again, like Scott Watch, it was uh, completely independent. But I think there's uh, a lot of players, obviously, um, on the on the card in terms of uh, who could potentially pick up one. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, there'll be a few different ones to, to share between us. I essentially looked at players on four cards who may want to have Boxing Day or that period <laughs> of Christmas off. And you old I, cynic, you. <laughs> I look. It's quite a big list, actually, and actually, it's not surprising, is it? Because we know cards are massively up, as Mark mentioned. But I tried to find players that commit fouls and are up up against players that are fouled often, and look a decent price in terms of like three to one and, and above. Um, so I picked up four players. So I'll, I'll sort of zoom through them. Um, so Vladimir Suf, uh, Kufal, uh, West Ham. Uh, they're at home to Man United. Uh, he's averaging 1.2 fouls per game. Up if he's up against Garnacho, he that's United's second most fouled player. He's seven to two. Uh, Kufal for a card. Uh, Pape Sa for Spurs, averaging 1.1 fouls per game. Uh, they take on Everton, and so he'll likely be up against a combination of Onana, Garner, and Adrissa Gay. And they are Everton's three most fouled players. Uh, Sa is three to one. Uh, Anthony Robinson for Fulham, averaging 1.1 fouls per game. Uh, whether it's Connor Roberts or Vitinho at right back for Burnley, they are two of Burnley's top two for uh, players fouled, and he is three to one. 
and Aurel Mangala for Nottingham Forest, uh, averaging 1.3 fouls per game. And he's up against, uh, likely to be up against Ryan Christie for Bournemouth. And he's Bournemouth's second most foul player. Uh, Mangala, three to one. And if you were to put them all into accumulator, that would pay 287 to one. Wow. That's a, that's a nice little Christmas bonus, isn't it? Mark, what have you got for us? Um, yeah, so I mean, every year, almost like clockwork, my my best performing tweet um, kind of comes out around this time of year because I list the the Premier League players who are all one booking away from collecting a suspension uh, to see them miss the kind of Christmas program. And Kevin Nolan is obviously the very famous example of a player who bended or bent the rules in his uh, favour. He was suspended for five boxing days in a row at one point <laughs> in his career. Uh, can't be a coincidence. Um, but even so... I mean, that's impressive to... planning, isn't it, really, to be fair? <laughs> Very much so. But um, I'd probably be trying to do the same if I was a Premier League footballer. But uh, there we go. Um, but Howard Webb, um, not recently, but uh, after he retired, he did say in an interview that... He has had instances where some players used to try and persuade him to book them around this time of the year for those very same purposes. So um, now I think it's worth sort of <laughs> highlighting and sort of reiterating throughout this piece. This is just a bit of fun. Um, no more than that. Trying to work out who might be trying to sort of indulge themselves a bit more over Christmas. And my formula and theory is a little bit different to, to Stinch's really, but it helps kind of whittle down a, a long list where there's 36 players who are a card away from a ban. So my um, thought process was focused entirely on players playing away from home on Boxing Day. Therefore, they would probably have to travel and train on Christmas Day, uh, which means you know little time to spend at home with loved ones or families. Um, this is wonderful. Part, this is, is like Poirot working it all out. This is great. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Mark said loved ones or families as if like... <laughs> Well, yeah, these Premier they're, they're not necessarily around, they? the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the hard part I found, uh, which is the extra layer, really, is trying to work out who even celebrates Christmas because there's, you know, it's a very multicultural league. Um, not everyone will be celebrating Christmas. Uh, and who has kids or family? Um, <laughs> which obviously has the a big detail of this too. is amazing. I know. Yeah. I've, I've probably completely overcomplicated things, but it's helped me whittle down the list. So if you remove injured players or players not playing on Boxing Day itself, you get down to 16 players. From there, trying to decipher who celebrates Christmas, um, I believe the, the lists whittle down to about 10. And then trying to work out who has a family or kids gives us three or four names that kind of really stand out from the crowd. Two of them are Newcastle players, but they're at home to Nottingham Forest in the early kickoff. So there might be... A hotel stay there anyhow, but you'd assume they'd get most of the day at home. Uh, Joe Linton is a doubt anyway, so you can exclude him. Jamal Lascelles was the other one. So all the other two, one of which has been mentioned already, Anthony Robinson, um, Fulham are away at Bournemouth on Boxing Day, which all would require trip. a stay over. Yeah, so that's one to, to look out for. Anthony, we're looking at you. We're looking at your integrity <laughs> is on the line here. <laughs> the other one is Darwin Nunes, um, who's involved in a very high profile game this weekend against Arsenal and has shown quite a few signs of dissent in recent weeks, kicking the ball away, complaining at match officials. Um, now, Liverpool are away at Burnley on Boxing Day. So 
not necessarily a huge trip, but still, um, I'd imagine Darwin will be quite happy to sort of have a, a day off for Christmas um, if required. So um, I looked at the two plus fouls each double, which comes in at 7.5 on the bet builder, um, with the theory that these players are going to be charging around, <laughs> aiming to get booked. Um, but the, cards, booked. the cards double does come in at 15 to 1, um, the, both players, just to, get, just to get a card. So as I say, it's just a bit of fun at this time of the year. Sufal was on my list, but the thing that kind of goes against that is West Ham don't play again until the 28th and that's away at Arsenal um, so whether he's suspended or not he's likely to be training or there or thereabouts anyhow on Christmas Day and around Boxing Day so I kind of discarded him for that reason but the way in which he played last weekend suggested he definitely did want a suspension so yeah. uh, could probably still be a, a worthy candidate. Darwin could really easily cover that as well because people will just go oh it's just Darwin being a madman as usual. <laughs> So that would be the perfect yes. uh, subterfuge. I just imagine Mark next season kind of going around to players' houses just with the pads, <laughs> masquerading as some kind of government official just to get some information down. That'll be the next stage that we get. Do you to. know what? Um, I didn't expect my tweet to explode as much as it did, but it's got had about 5,000 likes and some people have gone to extreme lengths and someone did actually message me uh, an image that you used. Is it chat GPT or JPT? Oh yeah, yeah, the, the AI thing, the, yeah. The AI bot, yeah. And he included basically religion and kids, families, etc., into the AI bot and it's come back with all the answers. So he's not sure how Love accurate it. it is, but if you look under the replies, you'll probably find it. It's fascinating reading. I love All good it. fun. We don't want Marco Hare replaced by an AI bot just yet. Uh, let's take a look at some of the other games we've got coming up. One of them very exciting, actually. In the championship, Stinch leads against Ipswich. Looks like a belter. Yeah, uh, third v second in the championship. And Ipswich are the real deal. I backed them 16-1 to 1 on the eve of the season. That's not any after-timing because, unfortunately, they're in a multiple with Notts County. Uh, and, unfortunately, their injury crisis has seemed to have caught up with them. So, I don't expect that to win. But um, it just goes to show that um, even after a lot of talk about Ipswich's credentials in um in pre-season and in the build-up to the beginning of the season, they were still, you know, quite a chunky price to to win the league on the the eve of the season. Um, but I feel like with with Leeds, their odds on here at four to five, and it just feels like there's a bit of kind of the when the market's not accepting the Ipswich are candidates to be promoted to the Premier League. It feels like this match is almost being priced up as if it's bottom of the. Uh, Premier League against a really, really good League One team still, um, in a way. Um, uh, and I just, yeah, I just like Ipswich are fully deserved to be up there and in, in the battle. Um, and yeah, so I just, I'm not sure why Leeds are, are odds on. Um, you know, Ipswich are 10 points clear of Leeds in second. They're the top goal scorers in the league. They've only lost two of 22 games all season, uh, albeit one of them was against Leeds, but that was way back in August. Um, their second for expected goals for leads a third. Um, so again, tight, but the you'd you'd expect if the prices uh, with leads odds on, it would perhaps be leads the other the other way around. Leads yeah, would be sure, the, ahead sure. of Ipswich in terms of that chance creation. Um, leads leads are the best in terms of expected goals against but Ipswich. Uh, only uh, four goals behind them. So I just feel like the odds should be closer. Um, leads have failed to win the last two games and. 
there's a bit of discontent in the in the Leeds fan base. So I could definitely see if um, Ipswich were to take the lead, for example, uh, the fans might be get on. Not all of the fans, but there might be a few fans that sort of get on the backs of the the Leeds players. And uh, ultimately, Ipswich are undefeated in seventeen of the last eighteen Championship matches. So I, I just think I just felt that Leeds should be sort of closer to even money. To be honest, so I thought Ipswich double chance uh, ten to eleven would be the the way to go here. Yeah, you guys were very positive about Ipswich ahead of the season. I think anybody who'd seen them play in League One could see what McKenna was trying to do, and they look a very good side. Mark, a little bit lower down the ladder, Tranmere against Swindon. Yeah, a price that stood out to me in League 2 was, was Tranmere, around a 2.4 mark um, in this game at home to, to Swindon. So Tranmere have had a, a really tricky campaign so far. They're still very much involved in the, the sort of basement battle, but there have been signs of incremental Im- uh, improvement and progress. And if you look at the, the League 2 table since the start of October... Tranmere would actually be only three points off the top six, um, sort of safely in mid-table. And that's largely down to Nigel Atkins taking over the managerial position in September and getting the team functioning again after what was a, a bit of a disaster class from Ian Dawes. Um, so Atkins has been getting a tune out of his players, particularly at Prenton Park, um, where Rovers have managed four wins from six recently in front of their home supporters. Uh, and in that 12-game sample since the start of October, um, they've scored at least twice in six of the last seven at Prenton Park too, which is obviously pretty handy. And they're playing a Swindon team who have unravelled after a really promising start. They're unbeaten in their first nine games. They have since lost eight of their last 13. Uh, and during that 13-game period, Swindon have the second worst points return, the worst defence, and they have conceded multiple goals in six of the last eight, as well as seven of their most recent nine away. The most recent two matches have been 4-0 and 3-0 defeats, and they've conceded 10 goals in the last three games. Um, so perhaps that's not a great surprise when you look at the issues affecting affecting them on and off the field. Injuries have, have really begun to bite, especially last weekend against Barrow, where they were pretty much down to the bare bones, but also off the field too. The, the owner and the club have been charged by the EFL for failing to properly declare ownership with significant interests. So um, again, there's just a, an air of uncertainty around the county ground. And you know, Swindon have been dogged by off-field issues now for a good few seasons. It looked like they were on a, uh, a good footing at the start of this campaign. But again, things have started to unravel on and off the field. So they're not in a healthy place on the field or off the field right now. And it feels like a good opportunity for Tremier to put down another marker at Brenton Park. So 2.4, the price suggests that they're the weaker of the two teams. But if you go back to the start of October, Tranmere are most definitely the stronger of the two teams. So happy to, to chance the home side at a nice price. Now, we know that injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets. And now you've got 90-minute payout to rescue you. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Uh, Mark, you've got a double as well involving games with Wrexham and Chesterfields. Yeah, just kind of following a, a similar pattern. Um, I'm sure I did this a few weeks back, really, but uh, there's an opportunity to go in again and basically back Wrexham and Chesterfield both to score over 1.5 goals in their respective games this weekend. Uh, it was evens when I did my prep. It's now into 187, but I still think it's a good price down to about 1.8. Um, Wrexham host Newport. They've won seven of the last 10 in League Two, but it's their form at the racecourse ground, which has really stood out, where they've won eight of 11. They've actually scored at least twice in all 11 home games 
they've actually scored three times or more in seven of those 11 games and averaged 3.18 goals per game in front of their home supporters. The hosting Newport, who have lost eight of 11 away and conceded twice or more in eight of 11 away from home as well. A bit of a, a Welsh derby there, so I'm sure Wrexham will be up for it, uh, the north against the south. Um, and then Chesterfield, who host Aldershot. Um, Chesterfield have been sort of highlighted a few times on the podcast this season. They are the big budget team in the National League this season. They're already eight points clear. They've won 18 of 22 overall at home. It's nine wins from 10 unbeaten. They've scored at least twice in nine of those and scored three times or more in eight of those 10 games. Um, but Aldershot, despite sitting inside the top seven, have actually lost seven of 11 away and conceded twice or more in eight of 11 away. So, um, yeah, backing both home teams to score at least twice comes in at 187. Seem to remember at one stage we dubbed Cheltenham the most boring team in the EFL. Stinch, they're away at Carlisle. Are the Robins still desperately dull? No, no. Oh, good. Excellent news. Yeah, I mean, we famously, um, yeah, famously beginning of the season, they were bottom of League One without a victory or goal from their opening nine games. Um <laughs> Oh dear. But, but they have they have turned turned the corner a little bit. Um they appointed Daryl Clark at the back end of uh, September. And he actually turned things around so much that he was nominated manager of the month for October. Uh he took seven points from from five games and uh he's actually uh the reason he was given the nomination, he didn't win it, but it was he managed to install spirit and belief so quickly that they've astonished with six goals. <laughs> um, wow. Imagine that flood of goals. <laughs> as if six is a, a massive um, <laughs> amount, but obviously compared to zero, it was yeah. at the time. But uh, they then they went went they then went on to beat high flying Oxford. Um, so uh, yeah, they have they have definitely turned a corner, and this is a huge six pointer against Carlisle, twenty first against bottom. Um, there's only three points that split them, and um, yeah, I wanted to kind of oppose Carlisle. Um, they're in awful form one win in nine uh, that includes six defeats it also includes a 5-1 defeat at Reading and I watched Reading recently and Reading are terrible so to lose 5-1 yeah. uh, Carlisle must have been really bad it was quite a grim, it's quite a grim situation at Reading isn't it yes. the owner they're trying to yep. sell but it, the finances aren't great Ruben Sellers still has his nice laptop and his nice coat but who knows what's going on there I think I think all, any overs bet in Reading matches at home is is possibly value because the fans throw tennis balls on the pitch, which delays the match, and then you get all this massive yeah, all amount the injury of injury time. time. At the end, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't want to back um, Cheltenham in terms of the team, but um, it wouldn't be the Betfair only better podcast without a goal scorer. And I really like the look of Will Goodwin for Cheltenham to score any time at three to one. Carlisle around about the even money mark. So um, this is the away striker at three to one. And since uh, Daryl Clark's arrived, he's shifted Goodwin from a wide position to a central striker. And it's paying dividends so far with six goals in nine games. He's averaging nearly three shots per game and he takes pens. Um and with Cheltenham to score over 1.5 goals at 23 to 10, that's quite a good barometer for value, as obviously Goodwin yeah. at 3 to 1 is a bigger price. So if Cheltenham were to score at least two, I'd be disappointed if Goodwin wasn't involved. And obviously, um, he's, a, he's a much bigger price than that, that 23 to 10. So I think that looks quite a good one in, uh, in what is perhaps um, not really factored in 
um, in terms of the uh, away team, the fact that he's now playing more of a central striker than than a wide position as before. Let's take it to the continent. Bologna against Atalanta, Mark. And Atalanta, always fun to watch. They've got so many attacking players in good form. Love watching Adamola Lookman do well. Decatur Lara's done okay. Luis Muriel has just got on a right old tear recently. Brilliant backheel winner the other day against Milan. They're great fun. Yeah, they are. They're, they're always fantastic entertainment under Gasparini. Um, they're still probably not the same side that thrilled us, um, you know, in those runs to the top four and in the Champions League in, in recent seasons. They have regressed a little bit. Some key thrilled you so much. You wanted Gasparini to be your granddad at one stage, I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still sort of not not going to deny that he's um he's a great guy, but um they have regressed a little bit and um they're kind of attempting to sort of rebuild themselves, revive themselves a little bit. So there's a fair amount of inconsistency um, around Atalanta at the minute. So they are quite an erratic bunch who do do their best business uh, against the lesser lights in Syria. So if you exclude the bottom seven, they've only won twice in nine. Um, they've lost all four trips to teams outside of the bottom six. So I'm quite happy to oppose them this weekend going to Bologna, who are one of the most underrated teams in Italy so far this season. Um, on Wednesday night, they knocked out defending champions Inter Milan from the um, Coppa Italia in extra time. Um, the goalkeeper saved the penalty uh, in standard time against Lautaro. And in extra time, they came from behind to score twice. Uh, Joshua Zerxi creating both goals. Um, to dump into out at San Siro, which is a hell of an achievement. And... Um, they're considered outsiders at home to Atalanta on Saturday. Um, now, I factored in the fact that they could be fatigued uh, mentally and physically from Wednesday night. But um, still, it seems a bit unfair, this price. Um, so I'm backing Bologna with a with a, a zero, go st- zero goal start on the Asian handicap at 195, uh, which I feel is, is a really nice angle to take here, considering... These two teams are pretty much neck and neck in terms of performance data rankings in Italy this season. Expected points makes Atalanta very slightly ahead of Bologna. But if you look at the two teams in terms of their XG outputs, Bologna are boasting a 0.36 XG supremacy per game at home. Atalanta's is just 0.16 when playing away. So if you overlay that with home advantage, I think there's a fair argument to suggest that Bologna deserve a bit more respect in the market here. So you know, basically backing them in the draw no bet market here at close to evens. Um, Thiago Motta's the, the head coach there. He's only been beaten twice this season across all comps, uh, one of which was on the opening weekend. So it's just one defeat in his last 15 league matches. Only Inter and Juve have conceded fewer goals. And at home, only Juventus have earned more points from Bologna, who've won six of eight, including a 2-0 win against Roma in front of the home fans last weekend. So, you know, they've already held... Juve and Inter away in the league. They've already gone to Winter in the Cup and got a, a result after extra time. Um, they're effective. They're awkward. Not the most, um, you know, aesthetically pleasing side to watch compared to, say, Atalanta, but they do know how to grind and get results. So quite happy to have them on side as underdogs at home to Atalanta. Manchester City away at the moment playing the Club World Cup. They're through to the final where they'll take on the champions of South America, Fluminense. Stinch, I'd be interested to see what you say about this because this seems like quite a tricky game for City given the fact they've not been playing particularly well. I know they've stuffed Urawa Red Diamonds, but they're not playing particularly well anyway. Certainly didn't do well in the Asian Champions League. So, yeah, this might be an interesting one. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a final. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to be as straightforward, um, regardless of uh, who's involved. Um, City are 1.15 to lift the trophy, uh, 1.33 to win in normal time. And yeah, I'm agreeing with you, Kev. I don't think it will be as easy as perhaps the odds suggest, uh, particularly without Erling Haaland or Doku, who... I'm not. I'm assuming this was always the plan, um, but there seems to be a bit of you know hyperbole around the fact that because neither of them were included in the squad for the semi-final, they're automatically ineligible for the final, regardless of fitness. Um, there seems to be a bit of a furore around that, but I'm assuming a club as big and as intelligent as Man City are, um, they're very good with finances, wouldn't have overlooked that matter on purpose. So. But I think that helps the fact that it will be tighter than uh, than perhaps suggested. And I'm, I'm looking at Man City to win, but with under 3.5 goals at 10 to 11, I think with the absences of two, as, along with De Bruyne, of course, with these offensive players can help keep the, the scoreline down, especially as I think the, the approach from Fluminense will be of a typical South American team will be to keep it tight, to keep it yeah. scrappy and uh, yeah, make the game last as long as possible. Um, um, obviously, Guardiola only started Alvarez on the bench against Ural Reds. I don't know if that means um, that was saving him for the final, but it meant obviously they played without a recognised striker, which can't, they can't be that used to. Um, but actually, this competition is not uh, an easy one to win. Uh, we've seen the likes of Chelsea, Barcelona, Liverpool all suffer shock 1-0 defeats. We've seen quite a few matches go to extra time. Uh, and ultimately, uh, 13 of the 18 finals have been under 3.5 goals. And as I say, Brazil is um, generally a low-scoring league anyway. Um, Fluminense won the, the Libertadores in extra time uh, by keeping things tight, as you would expect from a, from a Brazilian team. And and actually, they were. I, I don't think this is one where they will be able to take it to extra time like some teams have done in the past because um, they only finished seventh in Syria in Brazil. Um, they weren't in the title race, which actually involves sort of three or four teams in the end after Botafogo's sort of implosion. Um, and they're quite fortunate um, in a way to win the Copa de Libertadores. They obviously won the final in extra time, but I think they're fortunate to come up against a, quite a poor Boca Juniors who were quite lucky, in my opinion, to oust the the main favourites uh, in Palmeiras in the in the um, in the semi final stage, which they won on penalties. So I think City will eventually find the breakthrough. I don't think it will go to extra time, but I also don't think it will be a, a four five nil victory, or even maybe a three one. I think City probably will win to nil, but um, I think this is a bit of a better bet because it will keep the two one on side in case of uh, you know a Fluminense breakaway or something like that. So yeah, City to win under 3.5 goals and there wasn't any marks available at time of recording, but I would also check out uh, German, I'm not sure if this is how you pronounce his name, but German Cano uh, to perhaps pick up a card for Fluminense. He will generally go off as the least likely player to pick up a card and he's been very card happy uh, this season for Fluminense. Um, so I wonder if there's something um, underlying that he's not very happy with right now. <laughs> Or maybe there is. Maybe on the psychologist's couch. Who knows? Uh, now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a feature so revered 
that if you don't get as many presents as you expected this year, it's because Santa has been listening to us too much and he didn't have time to deliver them all. Uh, I'm going to, I'm sorely tempted after all of the detective work that Mark O'Hare has done to throw Darwin Nunez to get booked into this. I was going to go for something else, but no, I'm going to do it unless Mark wants to. Mark, is that what you want as your selection? No, you can you can take him. That's no, fine. right. I'm going to get Darwin Nunez to get booked because I think Mark has done all that work and I don't want it to go to waste. Uh, Mark, what would you add? <laughs> uh, I'll go last, see what Stinch takes first. Okay. And then I'll, I'll make Stinch. Call. Stinch, what have you got for us? We're going to start with Darwin Nunez to get carded in Liverpool against Arsenal. This must be so exciting for the listener. Uh, I will go for both teams to score in Luton v Newcastle. Um, I expect, as we as we know, Luton to be very competitive at home. Um, 75% of their games this season have seen both teams to score. That rises to 88% at Kenilworth Road. And the injuries and uh, fixture suggestion, congestion is beginning to catch up with Newcastle. Just two clean sheets in 10 and actually a bit longer term, only one clean sheet in nine away. So I would be surprised if Luton win to nil. Mark, take us home. All right, I'll, I'll just take Tramia to win then. We've got some nice prices already involved. It's Christmas around the corner, so let's have a, a decent price to treble to, to cheer on. Lovely stuff. Now, finally, we've had a flood of correspondence from fans determined to save Scottwatch after the Grinch here, Mark O'Hare, suggested he was going to ditch it next year. Uh, Colin Matthews even got in touch and said, my wife had no interest in football, but she absolutely adores Scottwatch. Can you please keep it going for the sake of my marriage? He also said she hates it when Kev doesn't play the jingle. <laughs> Jingle's nothing to do with me. It's not that's producer Jack in the background there getting away scot-free. Uh, he's the one responsible for that. So direct your ire towards him. Nothing to do with me. No jingles on my watch. So, Mark O'Hare, keep Scott Watch going to save Colin Matthews' marriage. Oh, I escort watch. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, I'm very, very heartened by the, the very generous response to, to Scott Watch's future being uh, under threat. Um, we'll address this in the new year, but there's been some pretty persuasive cases, not least uh, someone's marriage to, to keep alive. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, keep getting in touch if you want to save this segment. That's all I can say, really. But, yeah, you um, haven't done enough yet, people. You, you've <laughs> moved the needle a little, but you've got to keep pushing. Um, I'm not a Grinch, by the way. That's a different... Conversation. Um, love I'm amazed you know what the Grinch is, to be <laughs> honest. I know the concept of the Grinch. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, something a little bit different for Scott Watch this weekend. Uh, I'm going to back a home win double in Scottish League Two. Uh, Dumbarton are backed to beat Clyde and Stenhouse Muir are being backed to beat Elgin. A uh, bit of a quirk of the fixtures, but um, you've basically got two of the top three hosting two of the bottom three um, and two absolutely terrible travellers uh, as well in the same division uh, by distance as well. So you've got Dumbarton who are third. They've won nine or 14 of late, five wins from seven at home, conceded just five goals in eight at home as well. They're playing Clyde who have been, or they are bottom of the league. They've won just once all season, one clean sheet, nine defeats in 15. Uh, so quite a straightforward selection on the home side. And then Stenhouse-Muir who are top of the fourth tier, 
11 wins in 16. Top scorers, best defence, 11 wins in the last 14, seven wins on the spin, conceding just one goal in the last five and 11 clean sheets in 16 overall. Uh, they're playing Elgin, who are utterly abysmal away from home. <laughs> they are second bottom. They've taken one point from eight away games this season, scoring four and conceding 23. Uh, they come into this game on the back of 4-0 thrashings, consecutive 4-0 thrashings thrashings, I should say. But if you go back to February, Elgin have returned no wins, one draw and 16 defeats across Jesus. all comps away from home. Uh, oh yeah, it is utterly dreadful. Um, so let's suppose Elgin and let's suppose Clyde playing two strong home sides. Uh, the double pays five to six on the home side. So um, not a nice, not a bad price at all. In terms of culture corner, we've done Dumbarton. They are the club with the stadium on the rock overlooking the water. We've done Stenhouse Muir, uh, the club who counts Michael Palin as a supporter. We've done Elgin, uh, the club in the far north. But we haven't done Clyde, um, who were founded on the banks of the River Clyde, uh, Barrowfield, back in 1877. Um, if I'm not wrong, their origins are very close to the area where Celtic's Parkhead Stadium is in the city of Glasgow. So the two teams were actually rivals in their very early days. Nowadays, they play at New Douglas Park, which is Hamilton's home outside of the city. They've fallen on pretty hard times, as those results have suggested. But uh, they have actually won the Scottish Cup three times in their history. They reached the final a further three times too. And they've played, haven't, well, they haven't played top five, top flight football since 1975. But uh, they did have a golden era in the 50s and 60s where nearly 100,000 people turned up to see them in a Scottish Cup final against Rangers. Um they were also the first Scottish side to adopt a shirt sponsor back in 1979, and they are 100% owned by their supporters. Uh, and their oh, official Match Day magazine won the Programme of the Year Award from 1995 <laughs> to 2007. So, um, you know, obviously some riveting stuff involved in the Match Day magazine. Um, they nicknamed what happened the Bully when Willie. it got to 2007? <laughs> I don't know, uh, but things have obviously spiralled since then. bother so. after that, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they nicknamed the, the Bully Wee, uh, the origins of which are uncertain, but uh, one theory suggests it's due to the supporters uh, and perhaps the players as well coming from the Bridgerton area, which is a, a tight working class area in Glasgow, whose inhabitants have been described as wee bullies and uh, ah, that kind of okay. stuck to Clyde. But um, yeah, we'll finish with a very little quiz. Um, the River Clyde is obviously where Clyde was born. It's the second longest river in Scotland. But can you tell me the longest river in Scotland? Oh, I don't think I can. I didn't to, think you would. Think. I'd never heard no. of it, but it's the River Spey, which is up in the Highlands. And oh, it runs okay. into the North Sea. It's actually a world famous salmon fishing river. Um, much more famous than famous. the River Clyde. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the River Clyde, that's kind of claim to fame, was um, back in the olden days. It was um, at the height of industry. It had 75% of the world's boats were produced on the River Clyde. It was wow. basically the place shipbuilding back in the day and i'm pretty sure sir alex ferguson's family herald from around that area and very much heavily involved in the, the shipbuilding empire as well so yeah that's clyde fc so they used to make lots of boats they used to make amazing programs but not so much anymore fair to say <laughs> that things haven't been too bonny for clyde in recent years you see uh, that's all we have time for on Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember, all of our shows are on Betfair's new YouTube channel for non-racing content. Subscribers going up all the time. Make sure you join that growing army. So like and subscribe. Stinch, late drama. What did you want to say? 
Yeah, I wanted to add in a, a festive special over the Christmas and New Year period to, to oh, round good. off at, at, a nice, okay. at a nice big price. So I'm looking at Betfair have got a whole host of uh, Christmas specials on the on site. So I would uh, definitely encourage you to go and have a look at them for some alternatives. But I was looking at Liverpool and Tottenham each to score two or more goals in each of their next three fixtures covering um, this, uh, this weekend up until uh, New Year. Liverpool are playing Arsenal, as we know, at home. Burnley away and then Newcastle at home. Spurs take on Everton at home, Brighton away and Bournemouth at home. So Liverpool are evens to score two or more against Arsenal, one to three uh, against Burnley. Spurs are four to seven to score two against Everton and 11 to 10 to score two away at Brighton. That first four pays just short of eight to one. Uh, both teams are averaging 2.1 goals per game this season. They're both top five for possession with over 60% per game. So we'll have plenty of the ball. They're both top five for shots on target and underlying performance in terms of expected goals. Liverpool averaging 2.17 goals per game. Spurs just shy of two at 1.88. As I say, the first four pays just short of eight to one. But if you chuck in the Newcastle on New Year's Day for Liverpool, um, obviously 8 p.m. with uh, Jurgen Klopp's complaint about the fan support, I expect it to be electric. Um, yeah. I've discussed Newcastle's injuries and uh, fixture congestion. They've now lost four of the last five. Um, if you include the, the Chelsea game on penalties and with Spurs at home to Bournemouth, given their four to seven to score two or more against Everton, I would expect that to be around about probably four to nine, two to five. Um, if you go for the Betfair special, it pays 20 to one. Uh, wow. If we can if we can clear the hurdle this weekend, it, it gives us uh, something to cheer on for the rest of Christmas as well. Lovely stuff. Some added time drama appropriately. Uh, right at the end there. Uh, me and Mark are going to be back for a special show between Christmas and New Year, so keep an eye out for that. But from the entire Football Only Better team, have a wonderful Christmas and it's goodbye for now.